previously on the Sick Invite podcast. So, so in, in some, some cases, cases it is similar, similar to, to like kind of a, um, what is it when you don't need it? What uh, surgery? What's it called? Voluntary. Voluntary, but like when it's like, uh, not the word. Like, you know, when you don't need it, it's a, um, We're good. We'll think of it. You are now listening to the Sick Invite podcast with Kayla Herb and Ricky Grimes. Hello, my name is Kayla Herb. And I'm Ricky Grimes. And this is the Sick Invite podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments. Big or small, chronic or temporary, the Sick Invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your story. What is wrong with you? I'm, I'm a little hot. I'm leaning over into the hot uh, lights of the studio. I, it, uh, we have lights in here like we're taking this for a video, but it's only an audio program. Is that just because you you like the look on the, the look of it? Like the hot light, that's the pressure on type of thing? Um, It's because we record this via Zoom, and I like to stare at myself in the Zoom call. And how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, usually I have things to complain about. I don't actually have anything to complain about today. I've never noticed it about you. We're we're doing good today. Complain is a bad word. You shouldn't use that, right? Uh, all right. To but express uh, ex- things express about yourself to talk about. Um, but uh, you know, this uh, sunshine and spring weather really does make a difference. <laughs> and I went shopping, so I have some like new clothes. So that also makes me happy. Fantastic. Yeah. This show is brought to you by KaylaHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order. Do you like our show? Please tell everyone about it. Follow us, like us, and share our content at the Sick Invite Podcast. Please do that. You guys have been slacking on the sharing of the Instagram stories. Take a screenshot. Share our content. Please. Please. Thank you. We are now on Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get early access to our episodes and other uh, bonus episodes, about, which is mostly us talking about uh, television and movies. Maybe some school stuff. Sure. Please send us your story through our website. There's a form to fill out at the bottom of the page, and we will contact you with further instructions. Okay, so I got a note from producer Klaus here, and he says... That he's been speaking to the advertisers for the program, which, as far as I know, is is n- n- nothing that we're. I thought we were the only. I don't even have any really big advertisers except for the ones, because he inserts some of the ads after the fact, so I'm not aware of some of them. But he's saying that we can get more ads if we double the show. So he said, "Do you think we can keep our guests talking for another whole hour?" Yes. So double the hours. Do you think people will listen to a two-hour sick invite podcast? I listen to two-hour murder podcasts. Right. So you think we can extend it out? Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing, actually. It actually works with today's episode, which you're going to get into, is that this is actually like a sequel or a prequel because it's the it's the story of the birth of one of our previous guests. It's pretty like uh, it's pretty like it's like the Godfather two and then doing Godfather one. Hopefully, depending on what you think, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll see. Maybe we can do like a bonus, a double feature, uh, a podcast version of this. Yeah. That would be interesting. I like it. On today's show, we have Pat Samari. So, Pat, what's wrong with you? Uh, well, okay. So uh, I was married in 1985, and uh, we... Uh, Wanted to wait a while before we started a family. We were trying to, you know, save up some money, get a house, you know, the typical, uh, you know, uh, young couple issues that we, you know, all have. And uh, I guess we didn't really think about it much. And then everyone else was having children and we were kind of like lagging behind. And uh, we just didn't really think about it. We were like, it'll happen when it's going to happen. And Two years became three, and before you knew it, it was like six years, and all our friends were starting families, and we still hadn't started a family, and we were starting to get those questions like, what's going on with you guys? Are you going to have kids, or you know, what are you doing? And mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was kind of weird the way the whole thing kind of came together. Uh, my husband, John, had uh, had kidney stones, and he was seeing a specialist because he suffered quite a bit with them for like nine months. It was almost like having a baby. He went to the ER nine months, nine times in nine months. And they couldn't do anything to get the thing to come out. It was really kind of bizarre. So they they finally did uh, do a procedure, and he was able to pass this kidney stone. And his urologist, who was a very nice doctor, said, Hey, John, uh, how long are you and Pat married? And he said, Six years, Doc. And he said, 
how come you don't have kids? And he's like, I don't know. Because <laughs> I had been going to the same doctor uh, that I had been seeing for years, and she kept saying, you're fine, you're fine. And I kept like trying to ask her, like, well, is there anything else I should be doing? Should I be looking into anything else? No, no, you're fine. So it kind of landed on poor John to find out what was going on. So well, doctor- and, but but let me just ask, you know, just to make this clear. So yeah. you at the, at throughout were uh, going through the efforts to uh, have the kid. Right. Yeah, we were we were trying, but you know, nothing was you know happening, and we just thought it was like, you know, I. Honestly, I just didn't really talk to anyone. And then finally, when this doctor brought it up, it kind of came out like we were like, okay, there's a problem here. And no one's Mm -hmm. telling us what it is. You know, like every doctor, you know, my doctor said I was fine. His doctor said he was fine. But then he was like, you know, maybe we could test you and blah, blah, blah. So it turned out that um, he actually did a procedure for my husband to increase the account of sperm. Uh, it's it was it was called a ver um, ver I, I I don't remember the name of it something ver it had something to do with veins and ectomy, and what happens <laughs> is they just they they cut off the vein supply so that uh, there's more uh, mobile sperm, uh, and and more of them. So I guess they found that a little bit of a a, a weakness there, but nothing drastic where we couldn't have children. So now it was on me to figure out why. I wasn't getting pregnant. And that's right. where a good friend of mine uh, that I worked with, he was a quadriplegic, and he uh, had been working with me for many years, and he came up to me one day and said, uh, why aren't you having kids? And I was like, oh, that's a funny question. Uh, you know, that's strange that you should ask that because my husband's going through something right now, and we're trying. You know, he had some s- procedure done. And uh, he was like, you need to see these doctors. My wife and I went to see these doctors, and she got pregnant like that. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? <laughs> so we, uh, I, you know, now I had to broach, you know, John and say, we should go see this doctor. And he was like, I don't know. You know, I already saw a doctor. But um, I got him to go to a seminar at a library where this doctor was speaking. And he was from Port Jeff. It was, it was a, a IVF specialist. And he was just so great at what he did. I mean, the presentation was really engaging. And then at the end, he put up a picture of himself and said, and in the end, you get this, you get a baby just like me. And my, <laughs> my, 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 my husband was like, let's go see this guy. Wait, so what kind of, hold on. So what kind of stuff did he talk about in the seminar? Was this, he was just, this more of a, was it about, about sex or was it about the talk, actual? He talked about procedures that they were doing. It was cutting edge at the time, you know, all these new things but a lot of it had to do with uh hormone therapy uh you know injections uh artificial insemination possibly ivf which was very new at like back then not new but not a lot of people talked about it so it was kind of scary did you think that this what did you think of it did you think this was kind of just like snake oil or did you think this he actually was legitimate here i thought he was legit he you know know, um i had looked into them you know i had asked a few uh i had asked my friend and and we had looked into it a little bit and there were doctors out there doing this and this group was uh very well known uh it turned out there were more people than i realized who were going through the same thing we were going through and it was only when i started talking about it that you know i i figured out that there were a lot of people going through the same thing. And right, right. Yeah, I think that's true today, too. I mean, as yes. much as more people are open about it, it's not enough people. Yeah. Um, but were the was this seminar focused mostly on, um, like, the female end of it, or were they no. also talking about the male end? Because, uh, it, you know, it was, you both it was contribute. The, <laughs> right, it was about the whole process, but it was definitely more, um, uh, yeah, I would say. Like it was a hormone got, thing? Yeah, and gynecology and all that. Yeah, like they delivered babies and all that. So it was more of that end than uh, the you know male. But they, I think they also did treat you know uh, the males. Unfor- mm-hmm. you know, fortunately, my husband knew then what was going on. So it was now up to me to figure out why, you know, I wasn't able to get pregnant. So um, we did go to see them, and at first everything was normal, and they did try a couple of procedures of. Uh, artificial insemination where they you take the uh, sperm and you they inject it 
into you and you, you know, try to get pregnant that way. And uh, there was a funny story where his mom and I had to take, he had to go to work and I, we had to take the sample and put it between us and it was snowing and I'm driving to Port Jeff as fast <laughs> as I could. We get there and the woman says to me, did you keep it close to you? And I was like, no, I thought it would be better cold. She was oh. like, no, <laughs> no. She was like, you were supposed to keep it close to you and keep it warm. Just so put it I in just, your bra. <laughs> so then like the tears just were rolling down my eyes well, because you well, know, here we are I, I, going through all this. And now they're telling me now that it, I should have kept it warm. I would have thought cold too, like they freeze it or something. Yeah, yeah, well, like it would have lasted longer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this seems like a very uh, emotional experience. So I don't mean to make you dwell upon no. it, but no, it was, so, it's fine. So you and your mother-in-law, you said? Yes, she came with carried, me. Carried, carried the sample of the semen of your husband to the doctor. <laughs> yes. And, She's and then a when very you got... cool mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> she really wanted those grandbabies. Yeah, yeah she was but really, the... really great. Only to be told that you should have had the, we the sample have kept in your it pocket. warm. I should have kept it in my pocket or something. That's so insane. That, that's insane. That was that was disappointing, and uh, obviously, you so, know, we were, we were doing so, injections at that point, so I was very hormonal. So, so like, did they, now you're did they say me, that the sample was no good. She. This is exactly what she said. We'll do oh, it wow. anyway. We'll do it anyway. <laughs> oh my! So it was like uh, this is like a done deal. This is not going to happen. So I walked away from that experience a little like disappointed and. You know, just it was it's a lot of roller coaster feelings through the whole thing. Of course. And so now you're like, this is just like all the cards are stacked against me every time. You know, I finally get to this point. Now you tell me that I didn't (laughs) handle it properly. But leading I should have snuggled it on the way here. (laughs) You were bringing it there for the actual insemination. Yes. That was going to be the insemination. So leading up to that, how long had you been prepping with the hormonal injections and things of that nature because that's uh, a very extensive uh, process yeah yeah it was a few months it was definitely a few months before we got to that point but there was really no um they never really said like you have a problem so we you know like it still was kind of like why is why is this you know not happening why am i not getting pregnant so um the last thing was uh after that they said well it didn't you know obviously it didn't work and then they said, well, I, we think you should uh, think about IVF. And that's a very expensive procedure and wasn't covered by our insurance at the time like it is now. It's much more uh, uh, accepted now and, and, and covered uh, through medical insurance. At the time, it was very new and it was going to cost us a lot of money, which we didn't mm-hmm. have. So we had to make a big decision. What are we going to do? And in the meantime, uh, the doctor said, but before we do that, I want you to do one more test for me. And uh, he explained that he was going to run uh, dye through uh, all the, uh, you know, your, my uh, tubes to see if uh, everything was uh, okay. And uh, he did the dye test and uh, he told me to come back into his office right after the test. So I walked back across the street because the dye test was across the street at the hospital and when I came back, he said, uh, well, there's a problem. And I was like, what kind of problem? And he was like, you have fibroid tumors that are blocking anything from getting up into your uterus. And I was like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? My doctor never found this. She never, like, investigated, you know. And he was like, well, um, you're going to need surgery. And uh, you also have endometriosis. So that kind of like, you know sparked like I I knew I had like problems you know at times uh with my menstrual cycle but it was never anything drastic so I never really pursued it you know but evidently I had a lot of endometriosis and huge fibroid tumors that I could never have gotten pregnant if it wasn't for this test that this doctor performed and I don't know why it took so long for him to perform it (laughs) I really kind of what kind of doctor was the one that did the test in the end? Uh, he was the uh, he was the uh, fertility specialist. He was right. a fertility doctor. Uh, he was a gynecologist, but if they they specialized in IVF and uh, fertility, infertility. 
No, did you have any pain um, through this experience? or Because um, I've, I've been told fibroids, sometimes you really just don't even know they're there. Yeah, no, um, I didn't have pain uh, with the fibroids. I think I had some issues, you know, with the endometriosis. But, you know, I just chalked it up as, well, you know, some months are worse than others. And I just have to power through. And that's yeah, what I, I think a lot did. of people did that, especially in 1986. Yeah, yeah. You didn't <laughs> really talk about time. things. You didn't really, you know, it wasn't like I could go to my mom and say, is this normal? Because she barely, you know, uh, would, would have talked about it, you know, at that point. So yeah. that's how we found out. And uh, what from, are... the, from there, it went very quickly. That The surgery happened in January. That ha- We found out around November or December. And by January, I had surgery at the hospital uh, across from where they were uh, located. And uh, I would say a month later, I was back on the uh, hormone therapy and we had to call every day. I would go for blood work and then call at night to get the results. And when you got the results, you would then be told how much medicine to take that day. And my husband would give me the injection. And we were on our way to a friend's wedding and I called, and whoever answered said, nobody's here, call back tomorrow. And I was like, I can't call back tomorrow. I'm in the process of this you know, month of doing this. I need to speak to someone. And she told me, there's no one here, call back tomorrow. So I hung up the phone and told my, you know, my husband, you know, like, what do we do now? And I was like devastated. And I, I, I think I fell apart. I think I cried. I don't remember. But he was like, we're going to the wedding, and we're going to forget about it. We're going to have fun and we'll worry about it next month. And that's what we did. We went to the wedding. I called the office the next day and they had me come right in. And they were like all around me, like grilling me, like what happened? And I explained, I called, they told me there was no one there. She was like, you should have insisted that the doctor speak to you. And I was like, it was a Sunday or a Saturday night. And the person told me there was no one there. Call back tomorrow. So she was like, well, we'll find out, but we're going to run some tests. And she was like, how are you feeling? And I said, fine, you know, um, I have a little bit of a cold, you know, my chest hurts. And she was like, okay. And she whispered something to the other nurse and they wrote down some things and she ran off to do the test. And I didn't think anything of it. I went home and went back to work the next day and I'm at work and the phone rang at about just before I was leaving the office. And it was the nurse, and she was like, how are you doing today? And I figured they were calling because they felt so bad about what had happened, you know, that whole month, you know, with the uh, us having to stop in the middle of it, the right, whole right. process. And uh, she turned around and said, uh, are you sitting down? And I was like, of course I'm sitting down. I'm at work. Why? And she's like, you're pregnant. And I was like, what? Like, I, it, it just, it was like a shock, you know? So, um... I sat there for a minute. She was like, "Are you there? Are you there?" <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Wait a minute. I'm so here. you were you were I got, pregnant? I got unrelated. Pregnant. Yeah, I probably got pregnant before we did that whole month of treatment. Oh, so wow. just through regular old uh, yeah old fashioned way. The no the normal old fashioned way. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. So that was pretty shocking. Uh, so I got in the elevator with my friend, who was the guy in the wheelchair. My good buddy at work and we got in the elevator and he's like he had a nickname for all of us and my nickname was the missus so he was like missus what's the matter and I was like nothing nothing and he's like something's going on what's going on I'm like nothing and he's like you don't look right so I was like listen you can't tell John because I haven't told him yet but I just got a phone call and he was like yes and I was like don't you ever tell him I told you first (laughs) <laughs> but I, he was like work friends are very special in but that he way. was like he was like the reason why we pursued this whole other you know avenue uh we would have just kept going to our regular doctors and probably at some point would have i don't know maybe adopted or looked into something else because there was no way the course we were taking was not getting us anywhere so, yeah. you know? so you think because you had the surgery to correct the oh, uh yeah. Absolutely. That was kind of open the open the uh, the path, Absolutely. so to speak. Yeah, the, I mean, I was pretty much pregnant a month or two after that, wow. after the surgery. Yeah. Was there yeah. any was there any danger for you in retrospect of you doing that sur- hormones during? No. While you no, were already pregnant. 
No, they didn't. Uh, they didn't uh, seem to think that it had any, anything to do with, uh, you know, it any prob. There were no problems uh, involved with uh, doing the therapy, the hormone therapy. That was a big thing back then. Everything was, oh yeah, take these hormones, take these hormones, you know. And uh, at one point, they told me I had twelve eggs, and I was like twelve, and they were like, yeah, twelve, but only, you know, you only need one to fertilize, and I was like. Well, I hope that's all that fertilizes. <laughs> what do I do now? Go home and tell John, okay, you know, we, we had none. Now we have 12. You know, but it turned out we, that, that, you know, we had my son, you know, nine months later. Well, eight months later because that was another thing with Well, before us. we get into that, because yeah. uh, your pregnancy is a whole other uh, yeah. journey we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were, like, so today we have these apps now that you can like mm-hmm. know exactly like uh, to the second when you are the most fertile right and, like, famously people will be like meet me meet me in this closet right now right and, right, like, right right <laughs> just so no, they back then yeah plant the seed that day um yeah. you had mentioned like you just kind of like noticed other people around you were getting pregnant were you like tracking your cycle or just we like- did we did start to do that like at some point you know my husband realized that I was like focusing on it a lot, you know, like yeah. someone's called me again. It's another, you know, they're having another baby shower and I'm really happy for them, but I, I you know, I really want to, you know, find out what's going on. And he was always like very understanding, but you know, again, uh, I don't know. He, you know, he could, he, he would look at it from like, well, you know, your friend said to us, if we don't have kids, we'll be able to travel and we'll have money. And I was like, but that's not what I want. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, so it, you know, it was kind of like he was very understanding and he was very good about everything. But also he kind of could look he looked at it a little differently, like maybe this isn't meant to be. And I was like adamant, like, no, we have to find out what why, you know, there's got to be a way. So um, we just kept, you know, I just kept ask. I talked to a lot of people. I like to talk to people. I mean, you could ask mm-hmm. Alex. I probably talk too much now. But I, I learned that from talking to people, I, I would find things out and I'd be like, oh, I, I never heard that before. And, you know, one thing led to another. And that's how my friend kind of recommended that we see those specialists. And uh, from there, the it was. Yeah. All those are the same reasons we started this podcast. Same yeah. thing. Right. Same right. thing. Right. <laughs> and that's what I uh, that's what I thought was so great when, like, uh, Alex told me about it. I was like, this is what I always said should be like. People should be able to talk about what they're going through. And I remember being embarrassed sometimes, you know, I'd be somewhere, someone would say, Oh, you don't have children yet. And I'd be like, no, you know, we're waiting. Cause you don't yeah. really want to, you don't want to really want to get into the, you know, but, but also a lot of times it was just out of, you know, it wasn't like mean spirited, but you know, it's a very sensitive subject. Well, that's so what I think it's interesting where it's like know. someone would uh, bring that up. I mean, there's only a few answers that like a person could give to that <laughs> answer, which is just like, A, like we don't want children. And then you have to have that right. discussion or like that moral. And then it's or there's like an issue. And at that point, we're going to talk about right. it here at, at, at breakfast at the at at this dinner. diner. Right, I, yeah. Right. What, what are we going to do here? <laughs> do you notice that these types of discussions as kind of time went on and, and, and mm-hmm. the way people talk about that kind of stuff, have you noticed a change in that? And, and uh, maybe you're kind of hyper aware of it because absolutely. of your experience? I found that I would talk about it more. Like I, I had a friend and Alex knows him also. And I remember him saying, gee, we never had kids. And I was like, you should go see these doctors. Uh, you know, my friend, you know, like kind of pushed me and I was so glad I went. And, you know, I would talk to people like I, I, I met a girl who uh, also went through those struggles and she ended up having a preemie also. And we stayed in touch for a while at work. It was like this whole thing that st- started to develop that I never realized so many people have these struggles but don't talk about it. Right. And what it, are- was, it was eye-opening. What about the expectation of like, you know, of, of once you get married and have a certain age, the discussions about having children like you had received? I feel like that's a little bit just from experience. It seems mm-hmm. to be a little less just culturally. Like it's like you're married yes, and then all absolutely. of a sudden the questions yeah. start coming. It seems like people have kind of shifted a little right. more of an understanding and the, 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 Definitely. the it's kind of changed a little bit. It has. And I remember my mother-in-law saying to me that uh, she was very understanding and very uh, oh, I've always had a great relationship with her. She's more like a friend. I mean, I know people don't believe me, but 
Like she would say to me that when she was first married, it was all about when are you going to get, well, when she first met her husband, when are you going to get married, engaged? Then it was, when are you going to get married? And then she couldn't have children for a while. And she, she said, I remember the aunts and the uncles saying, when are you going to have a baby? And right. she at one point said to them, I'll, I'll send you an invitation when uh, I get the news or something like that. <laughs> right. And right. I was like, oh, wow. You know, like, but she told me this later on, I guess when she saw what we were going through, you know, mm. and I, I, so, it, it, you know, everybody goes through it. But definitely, I feel like nowadays, it's not as, um, you know, it's not as it's like you said, it was more expected than like, oh, my God, what are you guys doing? You're like married seven yeah. years. Why don't you have yep. a baby yet? The, I remember my friends, you know, saying that to me. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know why we don't have any, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, then then once, once uh, you know, it, it happened the first time, we just thought, well, we're just going to have the one and that's it, you know, because we can't have kids. We just still consider ourselves like this couple that couldn't have children. Because my one friend had had three at that point. And right. she was having her fourth, I think, when, when I became pregnant with Alex which was a total shock. You know? So that was so, another surprise. Another surprise. Like <laughs> two years to the day almost. I was supposed to go somewhere and it was John, my husband's sister called me and I was like, I can't go. I don't feel well. And she was like, what's going on? And she was like, so like she was definitely thinking, you know, you're pregnant. And I was like, no. She's like, go take a test. And I was like, no, no. And I took the test and I was pregnant. <laughs> and that, that 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 it was just you know it was unbelievable from going from like six years of nothing to now within two years we had two little kids you know two so, accidentals yeah it was like <laughs> whoa look at this yeah yeah so I mean that's that's our story but uh you know I'm, I'm sure a lot of people struggle and have a lot more that they go through but I was just anticipating so much more, like thinking we would have to do IVF and all. And I was trying to prepare us for that. And uh, we were very fortunate that this doctor figured it out and was like, you need the surgery first. And yeah. it, it, it did the trick. <laughs> and, and how and how in, how invasive or was the surgery? Like, was it in terms, I know all, all surgery for the most part is, especially it, is, is yeah. extensive, but how extensive was the it surgery? Was, it, it was laparoscopic. And, right. Which was new back then, you know. You're talking almost thirty years ago, right? Uh, and I remember him explaining what was going to happen, and uh, my husband did say that the surgery went a lot longer than they anticipated. So he w- he started to think like, "What's going on? She's not coming out," you know. And uh, the doctor explained that it was a lot more extensive than he thought he thought originally, the endometriosis and all that. And what they did was they laser it. They laser it, and they remove it all. So I was, I think I was under for a couple of hours. You know, I, I don't know if it was three, but uh, when I woke up, I just remember feeling like someone had, like, inflated me with a balloon, like a balloon, and I had a lot of pain. But mm-hmm. I was so relieved that he said, you're going to be good, you know. He was yeah. a very confident and really... Um, I can't explain it. I've gone through a lot of different experiences with the kids and with ourselves. And, and I always find that like a confident, straightforward doctor is the kind of doctor I like because they tell you right, you know, right off, you know, what, what we're going to do. And, you know, these are the expectations, but don't be surprised if this happened. And he was really good at preparing me. And when I came out of it, he was like, you did great and it's going to be great. So And that's how it- we... That's that's great that he was like that. My question that I was going to ask before, I didn't want to cut you off, was that when mm-hmm. he said, well, the reason you're having trouble getting pregnant is, is you have this going on and you have this mm-hmm. going on. And I, I endometriosis, and I forget, what was the other thing? I can't say Fibroid, it, right? it. Fibroid tumors. Fibroid tumors. Did he say, like, was there already a playbook for that? And he went, all right, so you have this, so here's what we're going to do. Or did mm-hmm. he give you a couple options? And did you have any clue what he was talking about when he said it? I didn't have too much of an understanding of it but he the way he explained it was we do laser surgery and remove all of it through the laparoscopic uh surgery which is like holes in you know they go in through the belly button and a couple of holes in your abdomen and they just right. pull everything out so he he said it was minimally in, invasive and that I should be able to I think I returned to work in 3 or 4 days oh okay so, so it was, yeah it so was really 
Not so he bad. said, you, ha you have this, and here's what we can do, and, and mm -hmm. that's, oh, that's great. Yeah, and we Did went you? right for it. We were like, let's do this quick, because we were, at that point, we were, I guess, in our 30s. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and in those days, you know, that was old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, we really wanted to get to get that started, so we went right for it. And it Did all the... worked out. Did the one surgery kind of fix everything, or did you have to have more surgeries after that? Uh, no, that was it. Just the one surgery, and uh, I, I, I was pregnant within. I think it was two months later. I I became pregnant, so uh, we never went back. Uh, actually, went back only maybe once to see him again, uh, just for a follow up. After I found out I was expecting, they did a. Uh, sonogram to see if everything was okay and then they recommended a high-risk uh, doctor for the pregnancy I'm, I'm so it. happy that you came on and you're telling us your story because I think a lot of people hear endometriosis and they go oh my god I'm never gonna have kids no, um, no. and we've had somebody else on who had it um, and their story was different than yours obviously every case is different um, mm -hmm. and I think that this is, there is no you know, like as Ricky was saying, there's no like set story for you when you have right. when you get this diagnosis. And right. I think what you said is really important too about having a good doctor on your team, mm -hmm. and not only having one that's knowledgeable, but one that you're that comfortable with. It seemed like you really Absolutely. liked yeah. him. We connected uh. with him right from the beginning, and I, I was so glad that my friend, uh, you know, m mentioned him to me and. Or who knows where I would have gone, and maybe it would have been a longer process. I don't know. It just it just worked. It was like it was like everything fell together in that year. You know, it, once he spoke to me and said, "You've got to go see these doctors," it was yeah. like everything just kind of came together for us. After I would say five, six years of struggling, you know, trying to figure out what what do we do? Because it was like no one you you couldn't. Google it at the time, right? And you of course, you yeah. couldn't you couldn't you had to talk to people and say, well, who do you see and where did you go and you know it it, it took a while but uh, we got there. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you see the fertility specialist through your whole pregnancy, or was once you got pregnant, was his job kind of done? Yeah. No. Once we went back for the one sonogram, uh, he explained that I I should see a high risk doctor, and he pretty much passed me off to her and said. Good luck and send us a picture. And that, and that was it. <laughs> and that nice. was it. So yeah. now we will get into your pregnancy journeys. Mm. Uh, as we know, those were not easy mm. for you. So what mm -hmm. you found out you were pregnant. What were mm -hmm. your thoughts? Were you terrified or uh, excited? Yeah, a, little, a, little, a little like Ricky said, you know, I just had surgery and now I'm pregnant. So I think for the first month or so after we found out, I was petrified like I wonder if this is going to be okay you know like I just had surgery this year how could I you know be pregnant already but you know I, I did go back to see the doctor and he was like everything is fine you know they let us hear the heartbeat and all so it kind of gave me some relief but I, I definitely stressed through the pregnancy um, I had a lot of uh, nausea throughout for eight months I was nauseous for eight months and I also had um <clears throat> some uh, some sp some spotting at one point. So um, they explained to me that the placenta was low. They call it placenta previa, which means the placenta is very low. And uh, what happens is, as time goes on, it it comes it moves up into the right spot. But of course, I had to have that too. You know, <laughs> it was like you know I was nauseous. I had that. Um, what else? Oh, we uh, every test we took showed a possibility of uh, birth defects. Um, we had this one test that said, um, uh, came up uh, for, uh, they usually test you for Down syndrome or spina bifida. And my test kept showing uh, a, a high uh, possibility of spina bifida. And we already had a friend of the families who had a son who had been born with it and he was wheelchair bound. So we had to struggle with the, you know, the thought of what do we do, you know, if we have a child that's, you know, disabled. And we will, you know, I remember going to Stony Brook Hospital with my mother-in-law again because my husband worked nights. So he was never around when we needed him uh, to go <laughs> on these trips. And uh, they did a high, uh, 
high density uh, sonogram where they could, they called it a 3D sonogram where they could really uh, look at the spine of the baby to see if uh, there were any openings because spina bifida is a, ho a hole in the spine that causes, you know, I guess uh, different problems, uh, one of them being not being able to walk. So um, along with other problems, I, I would imagine. But um, they did check the spine, but they said uh, there's no way of telling for sure. So we want to do an amnio amniocentesis, which is where they take a needle and they insert it into uh, the, the amniotic fluid and pull out some, I guess, DNA to test the baby, you know, for the baby's uh, condition. And uh, I remember I was about five months along at that point. We were at Stony Brook Hospital, which is a great hospital. And uh, I, uh, I struggled with it. I said, if, if, is there any chance that this could hurt the pregnancy? And she said, they explained that uh, we could, if the baby moves, you know, you could have a, you know, you, you could lose the baby. If the baby moves and the needle, uh, you know, is, is there or something like that. And whatever she said to me, just, I blanked out. I was like, I'm not doing this. So I went back into the room to talk to the uh, specialist. And uh, I said, I want to call my husband and before I do the test. So I called him. And he was like, well, what are you going to do if they tell you there's something wrong? And I said, nothing. And he said, then why are you still there? And mm -hmm. we left. We both got mm -hmm. up. My mother-in-law was with me. And she was like, it's all up to you. She was very supportive. But I, I'm sure she was scared, too. Uh, she did want to know the sex of the baby, but I wouldn't let them tell her. <laughs> <laughs> because we wanted to be surprised. And we left without um, doing the test. That was my decision. I, you know, once he said that to me, I was like, he's right. No matter what, we've got, we've come this far. I'm yeah. not going to take a chance now of, you know, something going wrong. So we left and we, you know, we went full term and my son was fine. Thank goodness. But um, uh, I did find out later on that that test has a, a lot of false positives. Mm -hmm. But of course, your doctor doesn't tell you that when you're going for all this testing. It's like, you know, we need to do this test. I think I had nine sonograms also in the yeah. course of the pregnancy in eight months. So, you know, because mm. they were so focused on there's something going on here. And uh, I'm surprised that I, I, I held it together as much as I did because it was stressful. Mm-hmm. Well, then, I, I know. Oh, go ahead. No, and then at eight months, you know, I had my son a month early. Now, how, what was that like? Um... Is one month very early? Is, is that no, dangerously no, early? I, I don't really I, know. I, I had no idea. I had never done this before. I was petrified. Um, I woke up and again, my husband was at work. It was the middle of the night. I felt like the baby had kicked me. So I called my mom who lives a few block, who lived a few blocks away. And I said, I just got kicked in the like kidneys and it hurts really bad. And she's like, I'm sending your dad right over. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. It was 4 a.m., I think. And my dad was here within seconds and took me back to the house with, with, uh, you know, with my things, made me take some things with me. I don't even remember what I took. But uh, my mom made me call the doctor. And at that point, I was getting pains every 10 minutes. So my mom was like, you're in labor. And I was like, no, you're supposed to get back pain and this and that, because we had been doing like the, the classes. I don't even think we finished the last class. And so I was expecting all these other things. You know, you follow along, you know, like, we're supposed to do this, and then this is supposed to happen. And my mom was like, you're in labor. By the time we got in the car and drove to the hospital to be checked out, I was grabbing my mom by the coat and, and you know, like, screaming, like, ah! She was like, I told you. <laughs> so we got to the hospital just in time. I had called my husband and said, I'm going to the hospital to be tested because the baby kicked me, blah, blah, blah. I was very calm about it. And he was like, okay. And he hung up the phone. And I guess he told the people he worked with who were police officers, because my husband was a communications dispatcher for the police department. And they all rushed to the house uh, here. And I was at my mom's. I forgot <laughs> to tell them. So they were knocking, <laughs> knocking on all the doors. And no one was here. Oh, my <laughs> God. She's run away. <laughs> she left and didn't tell us. 
<laughs> she took the baby. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, my husband made it to the hospital just in time. By the time they had us okay. filling out papers, I had already, like, I was in labor. I mean, full labor. They had to rush me upstairs, and I had my son within four hours. Um, wow. So I was petrified. I thought, well, this baby's too small. There's something going to be, you know, something's not going to be right. I, it just was very, very strange to me that it was all happening so fast. We were I, I didn't pack a little bag. I didn't do all the things. We didn't even have a little crib yet. I was like, what is going on? But the doctor, you know, reassured me. She was also very good, and she was like, the baby's fine. He was very small, 4 pounds, 11 ounces, but healthy. And uh, they were like, he just has to stay a few days. So I had to go home without him. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you leave the uh, hospital and all these moms are being wheeled out holding their babies. And you're being yeah. wheeled out with like, you know, the flowers someone sent you, you know. And right. uh, so that was kind of weird, you know, the first time. Uh, and then um, uh, four days later, I called because I would call every day to check in the morning how he was. And then I'd go and they'd let me feed him and, and hold him for a little while. And I called and they were like, bring the car seat. He's coming home. And so he came home pretty quickly, four days, four or five days, I think it was. And he was home. So it had a happy ending, you know. Alex's story was a little more traumatic. (laughs) Like, I guess I didn't think it would happen again. I thought, well, this pregnancy is going to be different. (laughs) But it was, (laughs) again, I was very sick. Not a lot of crazy testing. I, I, uh, I think I said no to a lot of the tests that they wanted to do. Uh, I remember the one doctor saying, I want to do this blood work. And I was like, nope, don't want it. I already, I've had it before. It wasn't accurate. And whatever it is, it is. And they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. I just, I kind of bypassed some of the, because I just couldn't take the the stress of all of that anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. so I kind of like knew what to expect the second time around. But I did not expect uh, I had been at work and I wasn't feeling great. I felt kind of sick, but not, I I don't really know how to describe it. It just, I was not feeling good, but not feeling like I was in labor. I went home, went to bed and went into labor while I was sleeping again. Woke (laughs) up and again, my husband wasn't home. (laughs) But he did walk through the door a few minutes after I woke up and uh, rushed me in because uh, my water had broken. And I was only uh, at 29 weeks, uh, which a baby is usually 40 weeks. So that Mm. was scary. Yeah, so I kind of thought I was going to lose the baby. I, you know, I went to the hospital kind of thinking this is not going to. And again, I wasn't really savvy. Like, even though I had had a child, I was like, what do they do at this point? You know, what's going to happen? And uh, we got there, and the doctor was really good. She explained, you know, what she was going to do. And then Alex decided to stick her little hand out first and wave to the doctor. And the doctor was like, don't push. And I was like, why? And she was like, her hand is out. The hand is out. And I was like, you're kidding. And she was like, she's like, she's waving to us. Don't push. You'll damage the baby's arm. Oh, my Word. I was like, what? It was like what? Her, her delivery was like like something out of a movie. They rushed me like into a room. diving out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Reaching I, out. We had the lights. We had the lights on me. It was like, a sur- you know, I was in the surgical room. My son's birth was like in a regular delivery room. Hers, right. They took me into a surgical room with lights and doctors with masks and all these specialists running around. Um, right, right. So it was a little more traumatic. So, of course, right. now the doctor looks at me again and says, okay, you can push. And I go, no, I can't. I'll hurt the baby's arm. Because I was so focused on that. And she was like, no, I, I put it back. And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? And right. uh, she was born t- like a couple minutes after that. And all I remember was they, when they took her, uh, she was pink and she was screaming. So I remember thinking to myself, you know, she's breathing. And they told me she was a girl. And that was all I knew. And they took her off. Um, and I didn't see her for a while. But I, I guess because I had had my son early, I just figured, well, this is going to be the same thing. So I was very calm. And the doctor had come into me and said, you know, you're handling this so well. 
My f- husband didn't tell me that the first night the baby only had a like a 25% chance of making it through the night and then the the uh you know the odds go up if she makes it through the night they explain to him then you know th- you know she'll have you know better odds but we need to see how she's going to do through the night and right. he never told me that so i was like all chipper and you know ready to go see the baby and the doctor came in and was like you're doing so well i want you to come see one of my patients who's about to deliver she's having a really hard time and i was like what and she was like, yeah, you're doing so great. I want to, And I was like, what do you want me to say to her? Just tell her how great the doctors are in the NICU and just give her some, you know, peace what? of mind. So I That was seems like, inappropriate. All right. You know, but I, I mean, I, I really was handling things well, you know, because I didn't know. I was, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I did, I did go with her and I met the woman and I told her, don't worry, the doctors are great, which they were in the NICU, and the nurses were great. And you she was in, like in a panic, this poor woman. You went, in a panic. You went, you went in there, and you're like, yeah, there was a handout. They put the hand back in, yeah. and then I pushed, and I didn't push. Yeah, it was fantastic. they all here. Don't worry. They gave the baby a high five, put it back yeah. inside. It was fantastic. Exactly. It was great. So I did, I did just reassure. I, you know, I just felt so bad for her because she was really, she was very sick, and the baby was sick. And they needed to do a quick, uh, I guess, procedure to get the baby out. But they, wow. she wanted me to calm her down. So I, I spoke to her, and she thanked me. And then we ended up uh, being there together and, and seeing each other, you know, throughout oh, the nice. whole process. So it was, and her husband and, and, and my husband spoke. They were in the same kind of field, so to speak. I believe he was a police officer. So mm-hmm. they, they spoke, and uh, it, it turned out, you know, okay, but I mean, honestly, I didn't know what I was doing, and I and I said to the doctor, "Why am I doing this?" She's like, "Because I think you're handling this so well. I've never seen anyone so calm." But I was like, "I didn't know." <laughs> well, can I can I ask a silly question, and and anyone can answer, Kayla or you or whoever has the answer. Is there a um? And I know there are lessons to be learned about how to deliver a child, and there are specific mm-hmm. things you they are they tell you to do and. I guess things mm-hmm. not to do, but is there a, a can you be other than just a natural uh, occurrence, uh, be better or worse at delivering a child? Is that a thing? Like, are there th- certain things you can or can't do that make you better or more or less skilled at delivering a child? Is <laughs> I that, don't a, is think that a thing? So. I don't think so. It's I just think an attitude, probably. Right? It's just it's probably an attitude, and my attitude was really good because I just thought it was going to be the same process that we went through with my son. She would right. stay in a while, I would get her home, and then everything would go back to normal. But as mm-hmm. things went on, we did learn more and more. And it, it's funny, they don't tell you everything all at once. I, I would have doctors come up to me and say, she has a heart murmur. And I was like, oh, okay, my son has a heart murmur. But it's, you know, it's a functional heart murmur. It's nothing, you know, it doesn't impede him in any way. And... uh they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd walk away, you know. And uh, then I had a nurse come to us and say, well, you know, she's going to need a, a surgery when she's a little older. And I was like, for what? And they were like, for the heart murmur. And I was like, I I didn't know that. And she actually, I still have the napkin. She drew a diagram of uh, Alex's, uh, uh, Alex has a condition called pulmonary stenosis, which uh, the pulmonary valve is constricted so the valve uh doesn't open up as it normally should it kind of like the blood backs up and then it gushes so they could the nurses could tell from listening to her heart and i guess because she was in for so long they were really able to monitor her and figure out that she had this condition so we Mm. did have to see a specialist when she was 18 months old and she did have a procedure but again this was well into like the fifth or sixth week of us being there that we found out about it and she was in for 10 weeks Mm. so i get uh, you know again maybe ignorance was bliss because i just got through a lot of it just not not knowing and then finding out like in stages as we went along the you know the the different things that they went through you know she didn't need oxygen for very long but they did explain that some preemies do and it ends up affecting their eyesight so they were like, she has to see an eye doctor, like on a regular basis. 
you know, like things came up as we went along. And one time we went to the, uh, we were watching her through the glass because they wouldn't let us in. And um, I saw the nurse would walk by and tap Alex on the foot. And I was like, what is she doing? And my husband was like, well, maybe that's what they do. And I'm like, no, something's going on. So I asked her, I said, why do you keep tapping her on the foot when we were able to go in? Because sometimes they would make us wait outside. Uh, And she said, because she forgets to breathe. And I was like, what? And I said, is that, is that okay? And she was like, well, we give her medication. Uh, when a baby's born so early, the chemicals in their brain have not developed enough for uh, the brain to know, like, to breathe while the baby's sleeping. Believe it or not, there's a medicine wow. that would give these preemies to help them, you know, breathe while they were, you know, asleep. And uh, she's like, I just, I think maybe we need to up her medicine. I guess because I asked. She said, I'll call the doctor. And she did call, and he said to uh, increase the dosage. And they did, and then that cleared up. So, of course, now you get to the point where they say, okay, you're going to take this baby home. Now she was hooked up to monitors. She was on this medication. So I was like, well, how am I going to take her home? Like, how am I going to know if she's breathing? How am I going to know if her heart rate is, you know? And they were like, She'll be fine. You know, we would not release her until all these things have, she's been weaned off all of that. But they're like, they were preparing me for taking her home. And I was just like, I became so dependent on them for Mm -hmm. all these things that it was, it was pretty, it was a different experience from my son. Definitely. Yeah, definitely a, a different experience, but it was like a journey, you know? Now, does that worry ever go away? Do you ever, like, still tap her foot and make sure she's <laughs> breathing as a grown woman? <laughs> no, I just put a mirror by her. <laughs> no, um, uh, that, that uh, I, I really thought I would struggle with that more, but actually I was okay with it. It's, that's funny, though, because when she was about four or five, uh, her dad would come home at night because he worked, you know, crazy shifts, and he would hear her. Uh, struggling to breathe at night but at that point she had developed um, like a sleep apnea from uh, adenoids and tonsils she had Mm -hmm. uh, had to have like a surgery when she was like six years old but I never heard it and we had baby monitors and you know I'd leave the door open as they got older but she was about five at that point and I remember my husband saying you know Alex um, is not breathing correctly and I'm like what I'm like, you're, you know, what do you mean? I've been listening to, she's fine. And he's like, no, you sleep through the night and you don't hear her, you know, because I was a heavy sleeper. And he's like, mm-hmm. she gasps for air. And it turned out she needed to have her tonsils and adenoids taken out when she was like five, five and a half. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but I never thought about the breathing or the heart. It, once we brought her home, I felt very confident that they wouldn't release her unless, I like, I put a lot of faith in, and doctors <laughs> and yeah. medicine, right. which through the years, you know, I've had, I've had my doubts, you know, before and after, but I, with that process, I, I did trust them that uh, she was able to come home and that she was okay. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was something. <laughs> it, it was, it's so interesting because so many people that we've had on are like anti-doctors, <laughs> including me sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like you really just like eat, you seem to go with your gut a lot, like especially with the yeah. testing. You're like, no, I don't, I don't want to do it. But right. then, like, you tr- put your trust in these doctors. So there mm-hmm. is something to be said about your gut instinct. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm not a mom, so I don't, I can't no. speak in that way. But right, right, and and even with you know, even now, um, you know, different things that have happened, you know, health wise, uh, with Alex and you know, with my husband, and you know, I I, I just always like question things now because I think because of what happened, you know, when, when they were born, especially Alex and them not telling me everything right away and maybe me not asking enough questions, you know, I I also kind of feel like, you know, uh, that needs to be, uh, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to ask a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of doctors just assume that, you know, you know, I, I think they assume or they, they feel like that's not really that important, but maybe it is to you, you know. Maybe you tell, telling me that this is normal would make me feel better, or or maybe this isn't normal and I should be paying attention more. I don't know. I just feel like uh, c- 
communication should be better. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember Alex, when she was going through some of her medical stuff, uh, saying to me, um, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe it. You know, I don't, I, they don't know what, the, you know, they're not telling me anything. And I was like, we're not going to stop until we figure it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and you really do have to kind of, you know, figure it out to a degree. Yeah. I mean, hearing your episode and hearing how you are, the way you are, makes a lot more sense hearing, like thinking back to how Alex's journey of her diagnosis went. And like, I remember her saying like, I don't feel right, but you can't just go to the doctor saying, I don't feel right. Cause mm -hmm. the, uh, they're just going to be like, okay, and not treat yeah, you. So uh, exactly. learning the right words and advocating for yourself, like you're saying, and having somebody right. like you to back you up with that is so mm. important. Yeah. And it, I learned a lot, you know, even with her and even like with having preemies, I did, I did learn things that I probably never would have learned. I remember going to see her one time and my mom had relatives visiting from Europe and she had this older woman who was a cousin or something. And, you know, she, they were all happy go lucky. And here I was going to stare at a baby that was in a, in a, you know, in a bassinet that, you know, I couldn't touch or pick up. And she was attached to tubes and things. And uh, I was crying on my way out the door. And I remember my mom's cousin uh, bringing me to the side and telling me, uh, don't worry, she's going to be fine. I was, I'm 75 and I was born very early. And they put me in a shoebox with cotton balls and they put a lamp over me. And I was in a drawer in my mother's bedroom and I survived. And I was like, wow. And here I was going to a high tech, you know, uh, NICU and, and worried that this baby wasn't going to be okay. And she was telling me she lived, you know, she lived 75 years, survived being in a shoebox with cotton balls and a light bulb. <laughs> How people like, survived before 1970, but, I don't understand. But, but like, you, don't, you don't know. It just gave me so much, like, it just right. lifted me up. Like, yeah. oh, my God. What am I worried mm -hmm. about? This lady is like a testament to, you know, if you really are. And I always said that Alex was a fighter, you mm -hmm. know, right from the beginning. She was fighting, you know, always kicking and yelling and moving. And I was like, she's going to be fine, you know. Yeah. Well, I will say one thing when you t when you tell a story, it, it's a, it's very it's a great story. And I think one thing it also points out is like and especially having uh, you on the program today as like uh, someone of a, of a previous generation talking about their experiences and, and medical stuff mm -hmm. is like it. I think and Kayla, maybe you could speak to this is it does it is kind of a nice exp in a weird way. It's nice to hear how things th people were having similar issues for so long right. that it kind of gives you some sort of comfort to see it. A, how things have kind of improved, and mm -hmm. B, like it's a very universal to not it's it's not just you. It's it's this happens yes. throughout time and space, and it kind of kind of makes it a little bit less small. It makes it makes it uh, the world a little bigger, and you don't it feel so alone. So, so alone, yeah. And I mm -hmm. I found that even when when Alex was diagnosed, you know, before she was diagnosed with her thyroid problem, and she was having all these issues, and she went from being like I thought a happy kid to you know, being very emotional and just really struggling every day. And I was like, I was talking to everyone. I was like, you know, um, do you know anything about thyroid? Do you know any, like people would say to me, oh, my son's depressed. And I'm like, have you had his thyroid checked? You know, I was, I was doing right. that all the time. And I, I can't tell you how many people said to me, you know, I did, I did have it checked. And uh, yeah, I'm going back, you know, or, or no, my thyroid's fine. And I was like, I don't know, you better have, have them keep checking it. And only because I wish someone would have said that to me, you know, mm -hmm. right. uh, when when we had talked to her doctor, it was like, yeah, her, you know, her numbers are off, but it's, you know, nothing to think to worry about. And yet, you know, yeah. maybe maybe we should have paid more attention. So I, I don't know. I just find uh, talking does make you feel like Ricky said, like you're not alone. And it is something that everyone kind of struggles with something and it makes you just feel a little better and it helps yeah. you get yeah. through it. Yeah, uh, these kind of things, they're not taboo. They're just emotional. <laughs> yeah. And it does yeah. help to, n knowledge is power and knowing that mm -hmm. you're not alone. And right. uh, I think right. everything that you said today uh, really summed it all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah. And it, well, I mean, reflecting now, um, is there anything else that you want to touch upon today? 
Uh, no, I, I think we covered uh, pretty much all of it. <laughs> well, this, two, well, covered no, two whole something. humans worth. <laughs> Well, this probably is interesting because now I you can, have. you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you can use this now if you if 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 folks are listening and haven't heard Alex's episode, they can now go listen to Alex's episode in, in sequential chronological order right, of right, terms right. of years. Right. But if you already have or listened to Alex's episode, this is kind of like a prequel. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I think if the the most important lesson that we learned from today is that if you have a sample of your husband's semen, to not keep it cold, <laughs> keep it very close to your body. Exactly. <laughs> well, in terms of the, getting it getting Just pregnant, usually that, that's comical. how it works. Usually, you want it as comical. close as possible. I, I, I actually it. felt like sometimes I felt like I was I, I, I used to, we used to say we should make you know do a sitcom about some of the things that we went through. Some of the yep. some of the advice we got, some of the struggles we went through. I remember we thought we were pregnant, and then we bought a bottle of champagne, and we were going to celebrate, and then <laughs> we weren't. So that day when I found out I was pregnant, I was like searching through the house because he was upstairs sleeping, and I'm looking for that bottle, and I brought it up to him, and and he woke up, and I was like, "Here," and he was like, "What are you doing? I have to go to work," and I was like, "Here," and he was like, "What?" and then he went, "Oh." <laughs> then he realized, you know, <laughs> you're trying to tell me you're pregnant. But I mean, mm-hmm. just like things like that, like some of those kooky things that went on. It's uh, it's all uh, a good. It was a good and and bad experience at times. But I think it it all it helped to you know get us to where we are now. You know, it's all certainly a all story to tell. Oh yeah. Ricky, did you have any other questions? No, thank you so much for coming on. You've given us uh, so much of, of your of your life here and in, in, in your words, and we appreciate that. Oh, thank you. And thanks for uh, having me, inviting me on the sick invite. It was really a lot of fun. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>